0: I invite you to open your Bibles to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke as we continue our study in this series. Thank you. We're going to put in on chapter 9, beginning with verse 10. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done, taking them with him he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him, and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, "'Send the crowd away, "'that they may go into the surrounding villages "'and countryside and find lodging "'and get something to eat.' for here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, "Have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied and the broken pieces which they had left were picked up and 12 baskets full. Let us pray. Father... One thing hasn't changed in 54 years of my ministry, and that is a dependence upon you. Father, as the disciples kept going back to get more bread and fish, so we keep coming back to you. We know our inabilities. We know your great ability. So we ask this morning that you would fill your servants with the Spirit of God You proclaim your word in a way that it should be communicated and that your people may just open up their hearts to the only one who can meet our physical and spiritual needs. We pray this in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with all the needs to be done in serving the Lord? You know, we are a needy people, serving Christ in a needy world. Just listen to the television, read the newspaper, look at the internet, and you will find so many individuals and groups of people who are greatly in need. You think of the 13th homicide that occurred yesterday in St. Paul. You think of the decision that the jury came with uh, the Officer Yanez situation. You think of the weather disasters around this nation, the extreme heat in the West Coast, the floods in the southern and eastern seaboard. You think of the fires in Portugal, the burning high-rise apartment in London, and how many people that affected. And you think of just the needs of people within this congregation, people who are ill, who are faced with surgery, who may be at death's door. I think of my brother in Sioux City, Iowa, who is battling cancer and And uh, the last I heard that he was now in the hospital, he had been in hospice, he had been in the nursing home. Lots of needs. And uh, I often think of the billions who have yet to hear about the Savior. And I feel overwhelmed with the, the immensity of the task and with my own inadequacy. How can I or any of the pastors of this congregation possibly meet the needs of this church, let alone the massive needs of the hurting world. And even the Apostle Paul exclaimed, Who is adequate for these things? For no passage in Scripture has had more profound impact in my service than the gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000. It could be argued that it is the most significant miracle that Jesus ever performed, since it is the only one that God saw fit to have recorded in all four of the Gospels. And I find myself coming back to the, its lessons time and time again. And each time that I come, I come away refreshed as I recall how the Lord wants to give me his sufficiency for my insufficiency in order to meet the needs of a hurting world. Well, the Lord has used this incident for the training of the 12 disciples. And we see this in the most pointed challenge that Jesus gives in verse 13, when he says to them, you give them something to eat. John's account in chapter 6, verse 6, tells us that Jesus was really testing the disciples, and particularly Philip when all the while Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. The miracle itself is almost passed over. Now, we are never told exactly how Jesus did it. The focus is not upon the spectacular nature of the miracle, but on what it teaches those who serve Jesus about how he meets the needs of others through them. Christ will give us His adequacy to meet the needs of people if we, in turn, yield our inadequacy to Him. Now, there are three things that stand out in this story for me. The needy multitudes, the inadequate disciples, and the adequate Savior. So let's begin with number one. People are needy. The apostles returned from their first preaching tour and gave an account to Jesus of all the things that they had done. We read that in verse 10. Jesus withdrew with them to the vicinity of Bethsaida on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Mark's account in chapter 6 verse 31 tells us that the purpose of that getaway was for rest. The disciples had been working so hard they were spent. And he also explains that there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and the disciples didn't even have time to eat. So they get in the boat and they start off across the lake, which is the distance of about four to five miles. But the trip across the lake was the only vacation that the disciples got. Since the people saw them leaving, they quickly ran around the end of the lake and gathered up all the people that they could, and they got there before the disciples got there in the boat. And when the disciples saw that the crowd of the needy people standing on the shore, they must have thought to themselves, Oh, Lord, can't we just turn this boat around? The fact that this many people would go to this effort to be with Jesus shows us how needy they were. If you had taken a survey of the crowd that day, many of them would have said that their greatest need was for physical healing. There were blind, deaf, lame, diseased, dying people there. But by the end of the day, some other people would have said that their greatest need was for food. I probably would have been among that group. But there was nothing to eat in that desolate place. Jesus could heal their bodies and he could fill their stomachs. But that was only a stopgap measure if they would end up dying in sin. So Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God and how they could be rightly related to him as we read in verse 11. Have you ever seen a bumper sticker that says, Life is tough, then you die. Well, you know, if a person does not know God and have the hope of eternal life, the bumper sticker is pretty close to the truth, isn't it? Life is tough, and then you die. Well, the disciples uh, They were meeting the needs of a lot of people. But you know, when when people encounter problems, that many times is an entry point for you and me to enter into ministry with them. Not only physically or emotionally, but also spiritually, which ultimately is one's greatest need. But that's where we encounter our own problem, and that is that we are inadequate to meet the overwhelming needs of people. Did you notice the contrast between Jesus' attitude towards the multitude and that of the disciples? In verse 11, Jesus welcomed the crowd, but the disciples said in verse 12, send them away. Well, maybe the disciples were just being practical about how they were going to meet the needs of the the crowd, But, but given the situation, I think we are warranted to read some exhaustion in their voices. They were spent. They were wanting a break. Then Jesus says something utterly ridiculous in verse 13. You give them something to eat. Eat uh, eat what, Lord? You give them something to eat. You know, there were 5,000 men there, not counting women and children. And if there were two and a half children per man and woman, that would end up providing dinner for a crowd that is four times bigger than the Chisago Lakes area. We're looking at the possibility of Twenty-some thousand people. And all the food the disciples could come up with was five fish and two, I mean, five loaves of bread and two fish. The incident underscores the utter inadequacy of the disciples to meet that overwhelming need. Now, the manner in which Jesus performed this miracle is very significant. He could have called down manna from heaven. Commentators point out that this miracle took place in the wilderness, and that the 5,000 seated in companies recalls Israel sitting down by tribes in the wilderness under Moses. And calling down manna from heaven would have fit that situation. It would have been easier on the 12, it would have been more efficient but he didn't do it that way. Or the Lord could have spoken the word and a loaf of bread miraculously appeared in the hand of every person. Everyone would have been more awed at Jesus' power than they were with the quiet way that this miracle actually happened. It would have been more efficient. It would have been more impressive than having the disciples distribute the bread and fish to this large crowd, which obviously must have taken a good bit of time. Or Jesus could have called angels who could have taken the bread from his hand and flown directly to every group and given them the food. Now that would have amazed people, wouldn't it? They would have talked about that for the rest of their life. It would have been absolutely stupendous. But how did Jesus do it? he used the disciples to distribute the bread and the fish to the people. Now I'm convinced that the Lord did this miracle that way in order to teach the disciples his method of meeting the people's needs in the lost world is through people. Christ meets the need of people through people. But note carefully the kind of people that Jesus uses. He uses inadequate people. For example, Jesus uses tired, emotionally drained people. You know, the disciples had just returned from their first preaching tour, and Jesus knew that they were tired and they needed rest, but their only rest was their short trip across the lake. Now, true, Jesus let them rest all the next day while he was teaching the the people, and healing them. But then we see their tiredness and emotion come through when the disciples say, send them away. Another example, Jesus uses busy people. They didn't have time to eat because all the people were coming and going. I thought that our hectic schedules were unique to our culture, But apparently not. Once they started out handing out the food to this huge crowd, they were busy men. But invariably, the Lord does not use people who have extra time on their hands. He uses those who are busy, and he keeps them busy. And I'm sure that they didn't have the time to eat until the entire crowd was fed Another example, Jesus uses people who lack resources. The disciples' comment about buying enough food for all these people was no doubt said with some sarcasm. They didn't have nearly enough money to to do that. And the other gospels report that they did a quick calculation and they told Jesus 200 denarii would be needed, which equals about seven to eight months' wages. In order to give everybody a little bit. Obviously, the disciples didn't have anywhere near that kind of cash on hand. And besides, they were in a desolate place. And even if they went to Bethsaida to the bakery to buy bread, they wouldn't have nearly enough bread to feed that size of a crowd. They were ridiculously lacking in the resources to meet Jesus' demand to feed that multitude. Now, some people may say, well, I'll serve Jesus someday, but I'm too busy and stressed out to get involved right now. Or they think, I plan to give generously to the Lord's work after I get my finances in better shape. But right now, I don't have much to give but they're making the mistake of thinking that serving Christ is something we volunteer to do. When we have adequate time and we have adequate energy and financial resources, then they will choose to serve him. But friends, Jesus doesn't work through people who choose to serve. He works through servants. And servants don't volunteer to work. They don't tell their masters, well, I'll clean your house or I'll prepare dinner for you tomorrow, but today I'm too stressed out, I'm too busy. Servants serve when they're tired, emotionally drained, busy, and lacking adequate resources. Servants serve because they are under the obligation to their master. How do we do it? We do it by yielding our inadequacy to the master to use as he pleases. Five small loaves and two fish, a boy's lunch, not much to feed a crowd. But Matthew's account records Jesus as saying, bring them here to me. And friends, that's the key. Bring them to Jesus. Bring your inadequacies to Jesus and let him multiply the resources. The insufficient becomes more than sufficient when it is surrendered to Christ. And that points us to the third prominent feature of this story, and that is the adequate Savior. Christ will give us his adequacy when we yield our inadequacy to him to use as he pleases. Now, two thoughts come to mind. First, we must yield what we have, not what we don't have. Now, that sounds rather obvious, doesn't it? But so often we make up excuses about what we don't have and we fail to give him what we do have. If I just had more money, I'd give regularly to the church. If I just had the gift of evangelism, I would witness much more. If I just had the ability of others. Just if. Just if. But Jesus didn't use all the bread and Bethsaida, which the disciples didn't have. He used the five loaves and the two fish, which they did have. And Jesus doesn't ask you or me to give what What we don't have, he asks us to give what we do have. I'm reminded of a country preacher who went to a farmer in his church and he said, if you had two farms, would you be willing to give one to the Lord's work? And the farmer said, if only I wish I were in that position. The preacher persisted. If you had $20,000... Would you be willing to give 10000 to the Lord's work? And the farmer said, I'd love to have that kind of money. I'd gladly give $10,000 to the Lord's work. And then the preacher sprung his trap. If you had two pigs, would you be willing to give one pig to the Lord? And the farmer said, that's not fair. You know I got two pigs. But the Lord doesn't use what you don't have. He uses the inadequate things that you have when we yield them to Him. The second thought is we must yield our inadequacy to Him to use as He pleases. The disciples were not giving orders here, they were following Jesus' orders. And Jesus ordered Have them to recline to eat in groups of about 50 each. Eat what, Lord? It won't work, Lord. Well, I've got a better idea, Lord. No, they did what Jesus commanded. And that's what we need to do. We need to yield ourselves to him and to let him use us as he sees fit. And what Jesus did with this boy's lunch is what he will do with us when we give him our inadequate abilities to use for his purpose. And what did Jesus do with that five loaves and two fish? First of all, he blessed. Without his blessings, you and I are wasting our time. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, "...unless the Lord builds the house..." They labor in vain who build it. Do you covet the Lord's blessings in your life and labors for him? A message by Watchman Nee, entitled, Expecting the Lord's Blessing Has Had a Profound Influence Upon Me. Watchman Nee argues that everything that God's work depends upon his blessings, and if it is there, even an insufficient amount is sufficient. But if it is lacking, the greatest resources and efforts in the world will not be enough. And by God's blessing, watchman knee means a working of God that is far in excess of our human calculations. If you scrape together 200 denarii and you buy enough bread to give everybody a little bit, that is not God's blessing. But if there is no human way to explain the results in proportion to the gifts or working of those involved, that is God's blessing. It's not that we're sloppy about our work or expect God to cover our laziness and incompetence. We ought to work hard and we ought to be skilled in what we do. But to have God's blessing is not to expect results in proportion to my talents or my labors, but in proportion to God's abundance. So often we're just like the disciples. I see the need and I start calculating with what it will take, what I don't have. You know, I've heard pastors say, oh, if I only had Bill Gates in my congregation as a (laughs) tither." But Nee points out, if we have to accumulate sufficient wages to buy bread for the needy multitudes, years and years will pass before those needs will be met. We must expect God to work beyond what we as human beings can conceive. Without the Lord's blessings, five loaves and two small fish were woefully inadequate. But with his blessing, it was more than enough. So may we covet God's blessing and examine ourselves to make sure that nothing in our lives will hinder it. Secondly, Jesus not only blessed the loaves and the fish, but he broke them. Blessing and brokenness, they go together. You won't find God's blessing apart from God's breaking. You can see it in the lives of every person that God ever used. For example, Abraham and Sarah had to be past their ability to produce a child before God gave them Isaac. And Jacob had to be crippled in his hip before he prevailed with God. Moses had to fail in his own strength and spend 40 years tending sheep in the wilderness before God used him to deliver Israel from Egypt. Vance Hefner observed, God uses broken things. If any of you are from a farming background as I am, you know that it takes broken ground to produce a crop. It takes uh, uh, broken clouds to give rain. It takes broken grain to give bread. And it takes broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth the perfume. It is Peter, weeping bitterly, when, who returns to greater power than ever after Pentecost. You know, most of us are not too weak to serve the Lord. We are too strong, or at least we think we are. The Lord does not want our adequacy, He wants our inadequacy so that He can supply the adequacy. He puts His treasure into our weak bodies. And so that the the surpassing greatness of power is clearly from Him, and it's not from us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness when we yield ourselves to Him and allow Him to bless, to break, to break to multiply, to distribute, and and to meet the needs of others. So Jesus blesses, he breaks, and then thirdly, he satisfies. In verses 16 and 17, we read, Jesus kept giving them to the disciples to set before the multitude, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the all included the boy who gave the lunch. Everybody was had enough. And you know something? They even had leftovers. No one went hungry. But don't miss the end of verse 17. The leftovers added up to how many baskets? Twelve. How many disciples? Twelve. How many baskets full? Twelve. A basket full for each disciple. But the disciples had to serve the hungry multitude first. And only after that were they themselves satisfied. Sometimes we think, well, if I give my time and energy and money to serve the Lord, what is there in it for me? As Jesus goes on to explain in verse 24 of this same chapter, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake... Will save it. Lose yourself in service for Jesus, and he will make sure that you get a basketful after you're done. Now the bread in this miracle is symbolic of Christ. He said in John chapter six verse 35, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst." So Lord, what the Lord is teaching us here? is to surrender ourselves to Him so that He can use us as He pleases, meeting the needs of others. And you know, in the process, you in turn will also be satisfied. We hear a lot about burnout in our day. We need a lot of adequate rest and time off. But we can test our labors for the Lord by this. If we're burned out there's a good chance that we've been trying to meet the human needs with our inadequate abilities and resources. But if we come away tired, yes, but with the satisfaction of the fullness of Christ in our soul, then the Lord's blessing is upon us. Greidel Moody was a, a man greatly used of God Thousands of people both in America as well as in England met the Savior through his ministry. But humanly speaking, Moody was a very inadequate man. He was one of nine children. His father died at the age of uh, when Moody was four. He had a very little formal education. All of his life, his grammar was absolutely atrocious. What little religious education he had, he received as a child in a Unitarian church. At the age of 17, he left home to work in a Boston shoe store. And there, a Sunday school teacher met him and presented the gospel of Christ. And in the back of that store, Moody gave his life to the Lord. Now, he applied for church membership. But they refused because he was so woefully inadequate in his knowledge of the scripture. So he moved to Chicago. And after work, he would begin to go out into the slums and he would gather all the children he could to come to Sunday school. And uh, a businessman who knew Moody before he became famous told of the time that he first saw him. And Moody had gotten permission to hold a meeting in a a run-down shanty that was abandoned by a saloon keeper. And the businessman came in a little late and he saw this heavy-set man, Moody, holding a little black boy in his arms. And by the light of a few candles, he was trying to read the story of the prodigal son. And he couldn't make out many of the words, and so he had to skip over them. And this businessman thought. <laughs> If the Lord can use such an instrument as this, in his honor and glory, that certainly is going to astonish me. Well, after the meeting was over, Moody told the man, you know, I have only one talent. I have no education, but I have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to do something for him. Pray for me. And Henry Varley, a good friend of Moody's, in the early days of his work, once said to Moody, it remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself up wholly to him. And Moody thought about that. And he said, by God's grace, I will be that man. And he was. A well, friend, God may not call you to preach to thousands like Moody. But if you have tasted the mercy of God, he does call you to serve him in some way. He wants to use you to give the bread of life to those who are hungry, and there is the greatest need of our world. The requirement is that you see how inadequate you are to do anything for him, and then yield your inadequacy to God to use as he sees fit so that he can pour into you his adequacy. And he will use you to meet the needs of a hurting world. And in the end, he will give you a basketful of leftovers that will blow your socks off. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, Too often we block you by our refusal to just trust you and to go ahead as you are seeming to direct. How much ministry and blessing do we miss out on? Too much, I fear, Lord. Please forgive us. Help us to count it a joy to be a participant in the great thing that you are doing rather than being a mere bystander. And Lord, here are our small resources. We offer them to you unconditionally. Do with us as you will, where you will, when you will, with whom you will. And we pray this in your holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen. As the worship team is getting ready for this afternoon, we will close with a benediction. Let us rise. Hear this word, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen.